Today we finish this sermon series that's lasted about six or seven weeks. And in this sermon series, we have learned a lot about Abraham. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I mean, I've read these chapters in Genesis many times. I'm very familiar with the story of Abraham. But when you get to dissect a character in God's word and you understand what they went through and you apply it to your life, then you can see things you've never seen before. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing in your own study. Take a character, take a passage, and really study it. Meditate upon it. Dissect it and and understand what God has for you. Because just like Abraham was on a journey, you and I are on journeys in life. Obviously, we have the big journey of life. We're all on that but a journey to improve certain areas in your life. We've talked about those and maybe improve your health, your finances, your marriage, your your vocation, your job, whatever it is, we're on a journey. We have these little moments where God says, I want you to improve this area and, and, and I'm going to work with you on this, but there's gonna be some sacrifices involved, but you're gonna be better because of it. And so when when we heed God's direction, and we obey, then great things happen. Um, here are some, uh, some powerful truths, and in your, in your worship guide, in your bulletin, you should have received a card that has just a few of those. We're actually going to have it on the screen. So these are powerful truths, and, and I want you to bring these home, and I want you to bring this home, and I want you to just meditate on this, and I want you to also read the story of Abraham yourself and have these truths and your mind. The first one is the promise or covenant that God wants to make with you takes patience. It takes patience. So you got to be patient with yourself, with God, with the people that you're that that are coming alongside you. If you want to, if you want to become a better parent, well, those of us who are parents, we all want to become better parents. But there are seasons it's like, man, I, I got to do better at this. I'm losing my temper you know, or, or whatever, or, or I'm not really spending much time with the kids, or, or, or I'm not really uh, providing discipline to my children in the proper way, whatever that is. Take parenting, for example. If that's your journey, then you need to have patience with yourself. You need to have patience with your kids. I know that's hard. And you need to have patience with God. So patience is, is huge as God calls you on a, on a covenant journey. Uh, the second one is this. During this season of patience, when we are tempted to just settle, we're more easily prone for failure. So when, when you think, well, I, I've improved a little bit. I'm just going to settle here. You know, Abraham had the opportunity to do that. And if he would have, he would not have been able to be blessed by God in the way that God wanted to really bless him, to become the man that God wanted him to be. And so uh, when you decide, well, I'm, I'm kind of at a place where I feel like I'm good enough, I feel like God, is, uh, uh, God has brought me to this point, but you know in your heart there's another place you need to be. There's a more improvements in that area in your life. And so when, when you start to settle, that's when failure starts to happen. That's when failure starts to happen, as we saw in Abraham's life. A third one, the Lord, with perfect foreknowledge of Abraham's good and bad choices, chose him to become an example of genuine faith. Let me tell you something. God knows you're going to fail. God knows you're going to fail. If that's in your future, 
But he's still calling you to that. He's still calling you to become um, a better spouse, a better parent, a better friend, better at a devotion to your job, to your boss. Whatever it is, you know that God um, has called you. And even though through that, God knows beforehand if you're going to fail. Uh, the, uh, the next one, um, we all face famines. Famines can provide an opportunity to take your relationship with God deeper. There are times when things just go dry. Things just, uh, just dry up in our life, whether it be spiritually, emotionally, relationally, whatever it is. And during those times, we, we want to try to fix it ourselves and not have be patient with God. That's what Abram did and Sarai's wife. Uh, they did not trust in God. They fixed it upon themselves and went to Egypt. Um, so give that opportunity for God. Allow God to take care of the situation. Trust in God. We, saw, we just sang about that. Lord, I trust it all. I trust you. And so with that, when you allow God to, to provide and you trust in him, then you and God are going to have a deeper relationship. You will have a deeper understanding of who God is. We saw this many times over in, in Abraham's life. Um, the next one, our default response competes with faith so that we trust in ourselves rather than rely upon God to protect and provide for our needs. So our default response competes with faith. I don't know about you, I, I'm, I'm a doer. When things aren't moving and shaking, I kind of step in sometimes. And there have been many times in my life I've stepped in, I've stepped in too soon. And it's like, okay, Frank, you're not really supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to wait on God. You're supposed to wait upon him and, and, and rely upon him. And so that competes with our faith. God just wants to develop your faith. He wants to develop your faith. Um, the next one, there's no such thing as victimless sin including the sins you keep private. You may sin in secret, but you never sin alone. Y'all, that is a powerful, that's a powerful statement. And so there's no such thing as victimless sin. Um, and we learned that with, uh, with Abraham and, and his wife there in Egypt. The uh, next one, while getting close to your destination, remove the distractions, walk and plan your land and dedicate your land. Land in this sense means uh, God's destination for whatever area he wants to improve in your life. With the area is marriage. You know what that looks like. God has shown you that. You see that in other people. And so if you and your, your spouse are trying to work, uh, work through that, that is your, your land. And so sometimes we've got to remove the distractions in our life for that to happen. There could be some friends in your life, even possibly some other family members who are a distraction in putting negative thoughts into your heart and your mind about your marriage, and they're not supporting you on that. Let me tell you something. You need to get rid of the distraction. I don't mean like, you know, but I'm talking about you need to just ignore them a little bit. All right? You need to ignore them. You need to remove yourself from them, from that, from that circle, and you need to um, rely upon God. So it takes removing some of the distractions. Abraham, Abraham and Lot had to do this. Abraham told Lot, dude, we're, our, our, our herdsmen are fighting with one another because they don't know which livestock are, are, is mine and yours. So let's separate, go on. And as soon as that distraction was gone, God began to speak more and more with Abraham. 
For Abram, the real destination was his offspring, or seed, meaning singular. The church represents the stars in the night sky as offspring of faith in Jesus. So, y'all, this is huge. As we learn that the word offspring means singular, it means seed, and it's talking about um, the capital S, seed, and that is Jesus Christ. The faith in Jesus Christ is the seed, and as God said, look, Abram, stop looking at the ground. Look up at the night sky. That's really what this is about. It's not about just, just getting here, you getting here. It's so much bigger than that. The stars in the sky, that represents your offspring, meaning those people who are going to believe in the seed of the faith in Jesus Christ. The offspring is a church. The stars is a church of Jesus Christ. The church, the bride of Christ. You, if you believe in Christ, you are one of those stars that God was talking about. Now, I'm not saying when we die, we become a star. I'm just saying it, it's, it, God used that as, as imagery to show Abraham, look, that's your offspring. Of course, Abraham didn't even realize, he wasn't even thinking about God's son coming down. He wasn't even thinking about the church. The church was, hadn't even been formed. But God said, look, up at the stars. And so what does that mean to us? On our journey, when, 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 when we arrive at the destination, to imp- whatever area we're trying to improve, our health, we, if God has you on a journey to improve your health, that's going to affect more people than yourself. It's going to affect the stars in your life, those people in your life who mean the most to you. It's going to affect, it's not just about you. It's about those people around you. When you prove your marriage, when you prove your finances, when you improve your e- emotional state, how you react to people, whatever it is, it's going to affect those people around you. So stop looking at yourself and, and, and what you see here. Look up, look around, and see the people that are going to be affected in a positive way by your journey, our running ahead, the no, next one, our running ahead doesn't pressure God to hurry his agenda. God is never in a hurry. Oh my gosh, let me tell you. Okay, this one, this one is, is, is all frank. I'm just telling, I know there's people here who probably struggle with this, but I am always in a hurry. I mean, I have to ask myself, why are you in such a hurry? Why are you in such a hurry? And I keep reminding myself, Jesus was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. Never in scripture did we see Jesus running. He never ran. God is never in a hurry. And the only time we see God running is in the story of the prodigal son when the father sees his son far off and runs to him. The only time God runs is to go after those people who are far away from him. Isn't that good news? That's good preaching. Amen. Yes. So that's the only time that God runs. Other than that, God is never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. So don't think you're going to hurry up God by doing certain things to make this thing go faster. Don't get ahead of God. Don't run ahead of God. And then finally, when, when, when your situation that needs major improvement has hit the point of it's too late, then is when the greatest confirmation will appear as Jesus moves in 
closer. And I think there's another one on that sheet for today. But this one right here, when your situation that needs major improvement has hit the point of it's too late, that's when Jesus moves closer. When, when Sarah got to the point to where she says, you know, Abraham, it's too late. There's no way I can bear a child. There's no way I can nurse a child. It is too late. You know what happened? Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. The three visitors, almost every Bible scholar you read, they, they, they feel like and they believe that two of those visitors were angels accompanying the Son of God who said, you know what? Let me swoop down in here, because this guy's important. Abraham, he's important, and his wife is just as important, because this is where the seed, my seed, when I come down there, when I'm born and into this world to save men from their sins, it all begins right here with Abraham and Sarah. So I'm going to swoop down here, and I'm going to share, and I'm going to move in closer to them. Let me tell you something. When you feel like that it's too late, that's when Jesus moves in closer. When you feel like it's too late, that's when Jesus moves in closer. So look around, stop, listen for the voice of God, for the presence of God, because he will share with you that it's not too late. So today, as we close out this sermon series, we're going to talk about something that's... that's um, that's not going to be easy to talk about. This is, going to, this is going to be Abraham's final exam. The final exam in Abraham's journey. And this final exam is on a subject of treasures. The things in which we cling are called treasures. What makes them treasures in our desire to hold on to them? So as we think about treasures and things that we just got to hold on to, Let's think about, there, there are four areas where, where I believe that there are treasures in our life. One is possessions. We may have possessions, things, actual things in our life that are, that are treasures. We're like, man, I'm never going to give that up. There's no way. I'm never going to give that up. And it could be something that a family member has passed down, or it could be... Um, Something as simple as your, as your iPhone, you know? And, and when, when those treasures are not there, things go, you know, a, a little bit weird. Or, or if those treasures aren't there, it's like you're missing something. You know, this happened this week. I, I kiss my wife goodbye. She leaves early in the morning before I bring the kids to school. And I, I, I kiss her goodbye. But before I did that, I put my phone down on the counter in the kitchen and I kissed her goodbye, and then she, she was off. And then I was like, I looked for my phone. I was like, my phone's not here. Where's, I just set it down right here. And so I, I called a few minutes later. I was, I was looking for my phone. I called my wife. I was like, sweetie, do you have my phone? She goes, no, I don't have your phone. And then finally she realized, wait, I do have your phone. So she picked up her phone. Can I tell you something? <laughs> and this is sad. This is just sad. For the next hour, two hours, I was lost. I was lost. I was like, because sometimes I'll look at the weather to see what I'm going to wear as I'm getting ready. I was like, what's the temperature? I don't know. What's the weather going to be like? Is it going to rain? I don't know. 
You know, I don't know what time it is. They're, they're, I mean, we don't have clocks in a bathroom. The clock in my car is broken. I don't know what time it is when I get the kids in. The kids are like, Dad, what time is it? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't have my phone. You know, and just, it's like, what if someone's trying to get in touch with me? You know, I just don't know. And then, I, and Lana was, uh, was riding with a friend. And so it was Logan and the other, uh, the other kids and uh, Lawson and Marion and Lincoln. And Logan was sitting in the front seat. And I, and I said, Logan, let me call mom. And says, I don't have my phone either. We were lost. We were lost. We didn't have our phone. And it could be something similar like that to where you, you, you lose your phone and, you don't, and it's like you're lost. It could be something, uh, a treasure, but a, one area of a treasure is a possession. Another area of a, of a treasure is a, a vocation, a vocation, a job. You know, many of us have an identity uh, with a job. We are identified with what we do for a living. In fact, that's one of the first questions you ask people. Hey, what, what do you do? Are you, you work out of the home, you know, or, or do you have a job somewhere, or, you know, are you in school, that sort of deal? And so many of us associate ourselves with that. I mean, there, there are times I'm in the community, and people will introduce me as Pastor Frank Bennett, and I'm like, Pastor, yes, I am a pastor. And it's weird when people introduce you, pa- here's Pastor Frank Bennett. Yes, I'm Pastor Frank Bennett. And so... But I identify myself as a pastor because that's what I do. And so it could be you could treasure who you are based upon what you do with your vocation, with your job. So possessions, um, vocations. Another one is dreams. What is your hopes and your dreams? Some of you could have dreams and some of you Maybe had dreams as a kid, and maybe you fulfilled them. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're still waiting on that. Maybe that's your journey. I don't know. But that could be a treasure, your dream. You know, I want to do this, or I want to be this. And that could be something you chase and chase and chase. And and there are, are thousands of people that have dreams of becoming someone, especially in today's age. And so if they don't they don't become that person, then, um, then their identity is, is sort of lost. We see a lot of this in athletes, athletes, especially, especially like NBA players, you know, basketball players. It, it, there's, there's thousands, there's thousands of young men who want to play in the NBA. You know, just in the Champion Center here at Lake Point. I mean, they hold basketball tournaments, some of the best basketball tournaments in the country. And so there are young men there who desire, their dream is a play in the NBA. You know how many thousands of young men who don't play in the NBA? That's their dream. And they put their whole identity into that dream and they hold on to that and that becomes their treasure. Maybe you have a dream. Maybe you have something you want to be or, some, or something you want to do or you want to be known for and you have a dream and, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a dream. Nothing wrong with having a dream. It's just, is that a treasure? 
Is that a treasure? So possessions, vocation, uh, dreams. And the, other, uh, the fourth one is our relationships. Our relationships. You know, we, you could put a treasure into a relationship, right? I, I used to teach middle school for about 12 years, and um, <laughs> middle school, that's hilarious, the, the relationships. You, know, you, you, talk, you, know, you talk to girls, and I, girls in my choir, and, and uh, they'd come up to me and say, oh, I'm just so in love. And I'm like, in love with what? And I'm just so in love with you know, such and such boy. And it's like, he's just, he, he fulfills me. And I'm like, fulfills you? You don't even know who you are. <laughs> you're, middle, you're trying to figure yourself out. <laughs> and so we laugh about that, but there are people who put their treasure into relationships, into relationships to where it's like, man, this, I, I never, ever, ever want anything to come between me and this other person. Now, obviously, there's a point in your life where when you're married and you want to treasure your, your, your spouse, but there are also times, it's like when you're dating, it's like, no, don't, don't put so much into this person that you treasure them above almost everything in your life. And so treasure is, is a key word when, when we're talking about Abraham's final exam. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, if you want to turn to the passage. Now, we're going to read several verses in Genesis chapter 22. And the reason why we're going to read several verses is because we are going to get a good picture of the final exam for Abraham. And there's a few things I'm going to take away from this. So uh, if you don't have your copy of God's word, you can turn, uh, you can look at the screen and we will have that uh, there. But Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 1 through 19. All right. So it's a little bit, a few more verses than we normally read, uh, but it's all good. So 1 through 19, Genesis chapter 22. So it says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham. So there it is. He's, he's testing him. He said, to, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Okay, I have a problem with that set of verses right there. Are you kidding me? God, what are you doing? Why would, why would God even suggest this? Why would he suggest this? Obviously, we weren't there. So we don't know the full story. We don't know, you know what he's feeling or, or what Abraham was going through or, or whatever, or what God was trying to do. Of course, we'll see that a little bit. So verse three, early the next morning, and, and, and notice there's no rebuttal from Abraham. What I just said, I mean, we don't see that in scripture. Now, it could have happened, but we don't see that in Scripture. I would imagine if it, if it was something that Abraham was fighting against God for, he, that would have been in God's word. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, so it's a three-day travel, walk. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place and the distance. And I would imagine Abraham had probably seen this place before when he went out and scouted out the land. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now, when he says boy, he's probably anywhere between 13 to 15 years old. So I have two 13-year-old sons. I have one 16-year-old son that sits home with me. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So he took the wood, placed it on the back like a backpack there for Isaac. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son Abraham replied. Um, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Smart kid. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now let let me stop here just for a second. That is a true statement and a statement of faith, but it's also foreshadowing of what God is going to provide for us, the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, his son. And the two of them went on together. Verse nine, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged a wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, probably to slit his throat. Now let me tell you something. <laughs> I'm a pretty strong guy. I've, my, my 13-year-old boys, if I were to do something like that, they would fight me. They would bite me, they would kick me, they would do everything they can. My 16-year-old would take me down because he's stronger than me. But there's no sign of Isaac fighting. When Jesus went to the cross, was there any sign of Jesus fighting? No. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not speak a word. He was obedient. The foreshadowing is amazing. And by the way, this was written by Moses because Moses wrote the first five books and as God spoke to him. And and obviously, a lot of these stories passed down so he knew about Abraham, of course. But Moses didn't know about Christ. He bound his son Isaac Then he took out, reached out a hand and took the knife to slay his son, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Now I wish that I could, I can't really yell this as loud as this probably was. There's an exclamation point, but I can just imagine the the angel. I don't know if it was the archangel Gabriel or the archangel Michael, but I can tell you it was loud. Here I am, he replied. I could just imagine Abraham with tears down his face, probably barely getting the words out. Here I am. 
He replied, I'm still here, God. I'm still here being obedient to you. Here I am. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not do anything to him. Now, and he's speaking for God. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You know what I think is the reason why God wanted to test Abraham in this way? I mean, he could have tested him in, in many different ways. But here's why I think. Abraham had one son, the beloved son. They waited for him. He's the promise. And he went to a hill called Moriah. Now, Moriah, and obviously Abraham didn't know this because it wasn't even formed yet. Moriah is part of the area of Jerusalem. And so God, I believe this, and this is one of the questions I'm gonna ask when I get to heaven, among many things. But I believe God wanted to see what a father went through by sacrificing his son and what he had to go through, even near the place where Jesus, the son of God, would be sacrificed. Now, obviously, Abraham stopped I mean, God stopped Abraham from doing that, all, almost to the brink, to the point. And God saw his sorrow, saw him weeping, but yet saw the obedience in his heart. And I could just imagine, I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to do that. And the, although we don't see this in Scripture, I could just imagine God thinking, thank you, Abraham. Thank you, Abraham, for showing me that. It just kind of prepares God for that. That's going to happen many years later. But here's the good news. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. In scripture, it says Jehovah Jireh. It's the first place in scripture where we see the word Jehovah Jireh. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago how God will, will share his name, a new name in your life. God shares yet another name to Abraham. My name is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. I will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On that mountain, the Son of God would be provided as a sacrificial lamb for our sins. It will be provided. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. So he can declare, he could swear like, I swear to God. <laughs> he didn't have to say that. I swear by myself 
declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars, there's a promise again, in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies and through your offspring seed, all nations on earth will be blessed through the church because you have obeyed me. Last verse, then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Amazing, amazing test. The final exam that Abraham passed with an A plus. With an A plus. So what is a purpose of a test like that? What is the purpose of a test like that? And let me tell you something. You're going to have tests that God's going to give you. Now, if you hear the voice of God telling you to sacrifice your son, you need to come talk to me because that's not. (laughs) But God, God will test you in the areas that you treasure. The things that you hold on to tight, God is going to test you in that. And and through that test, it's a test of faith. So the purpose of the test is this. I mean, God knows the future as accurately as he knows the past or the present. The future, God is already there next week, next year, the next five years. We're Lake Point Church is in our land. He's already there. He already sees some of those people who we place on a prayer card and put in the time capsules, buried in the ground, people who want to receive Christ, and we pray to that. God is going to honor that, and God sees them coming to Christ. He's already there. He doesn't put people to a test to see how well their faith responds under fire. He prepares tests of faith to show us what he has made of us lately. He puts these tests to show us, look, there it is. Look what you have learned. That's what a teacher does. Good teachers make tests to show a student what they have learned or what they have not learned. I mean, I mean, a teacher, most teachers don't make tests just to, just to trick them. Oh, yeah, look what I'm going to do. They, I, I, I shared the, these notes with these students, and I'm going to share uh, questions on the exam. They're not even on this. Now, some of you probably have teachers like that, and I've had teachers like that. You know, we just got to pray for them. But just like teachers will provide an exam based upon things that they've instructed you on, God will provide ex- exam in your life Not to trick you, some of you think that, but to show you that a boy, that a girl. Look what you have done. Look what look how far you've come. Yet this couple of areas here need some improvement. So we'll work on those. But look how far you've come. So he prepares those tests to show us what we become. 
So let me share with you just uh, uh, two spiritual truths as we close this out. Two spiritual truths. Here are some timeline, timeless truths we can draw from Abraham's experience. Number one, what you cling to is usually what God asks you to release. What you cling to is usually what God will ask of you to release. He knows exactly what treasure has captured our hearts. He knows what treasure has captured your heart. He asks you to release your grip on what you treasure most. So what is that for you? Is it a possession? Is it a person, a career, an identity? What would it look like to release this treasure? What would it look like to release this treasure? You know, coming up in January, we're going to launch an initiative to begin searching God's will for our church in regard to our future location. We're going to ask God, God, what do, what do we need to sacrifice? You're going to ask God. You're going to be encouraged to spend time with the Lord, asking him, Lord, what do I need to sacrifice in order for us to be at that future location? Because let me tell you what, when we have, when we're on that property in a first phase building, future location, our ministry is going to go through the roof because we're we're gonna have a home, we're gonna have a place people are gonna be able to come to anytime, anytime. And we're so grateful for this opportunity, but we all know that this is, like Abraham, this is just a tent. Like South Central Middle School, it was a tent. But eventually, it's gonna be a home. And so we are going to be asked, and let me remind you, this whole idea, it's not Frank Bennett's idea. I was just, I was just compelled by the Holy Spirit to call a family who has some land that's not for sale, asking them if they would maybe sell it. And from then on, it's been a crazy ride, and they've, this family is working with this in a way that other people that I've shared this with, they just can't believe it. They said, well, it must be God. I tell you what, church, if we're ever going to be in a location, a future location with the building, I want people to say, that must be God. Amen? Amen. That must be God. Not be, not, man, look what that church did. No, it must be God. And so it is. But let me tell you what, we are going to be asked to sacrifice I'm not, again, it's not my idea. This is God's doing. God is leading us. God, just like Abraham, God is saying, look, I've got a place for you. Now, there's going to be some sacrifice. What are you going to give up? What do you treasure? It could be, it could be that Starbucks drink every morning. Oh, but I treasure my Starbucks. I treasure my chai tea or whatever it is. It could be. Instead of my Starbucks, I'm putting this aside. 
and I'm saving that to give to the Lord. It could be that certain car, certain boat, or whatever it is. You may not know yet, but my prayer is that you will know, just like I will know, what that sacrifice is, what that treasure is that God is asking you, God will ask you to give up. There was a time in my life as I, as I graduated from LSU and, and, in, and in music education, and while I was at LSU, I was able to do a lot of things musically and, and uh, was able to lead camps in the summer. And as Suzanne and I got married and we moved uh, to Texas, I was a school teacher, but I was like, man, I'm just gonna be a school teacher just to pay for my day job because I'm gonna be like a Christian artist, you know? Because I was writing songs and all this stuff. And, and, and I'll, I'll share this with you, not to, not to lift me up at all, but just I, I want you to get a picture of, of kind of where I was at a point. And I was at a point where I was winning national songwriting competitions, had a CD out, I had someone believe in my vision and they paid for a whole CD and, and everything. And some of you guys know a little worship leader named Chris Tomlin. I was filling in for him when he couldn't be there. We were at a couple of churches in the same area in Houston. And, and I was singing for uh, record executives in Nashville. And, and, and here it was, I went all the way to um, the mountains of Colorado. And I was at Estes Park. And I was at this big music sort of convention, this contemporary Christian music convention, and, and submitted some songs and, and was in this vocal competition and all this stuff. And, and I remember one of those days, I, I walked up to one of the mountains there in, in Colorado. And me and God had a long talk. Because that dream of mine was a treasure that I did not want to let go. God, I'll fight whatever it is for me to have this treasure. I'll, I'll, I'll not spend time with family. I'll give them, a, I'll travel, whatever it is. I was in my heart of hearts. That's the road I was leading down. Even though I never said it, that's the road I was leading down. And so God told me this, Frank, I want you to give up that dream. And let me tell you, that was a difficult conversation between me and God. And I'm not saying, I'm saying here today, I would have, I would have made that. I probably would not have, because very few people do. But I just wanted the shot. God says, Frank, I've got other plans for you. I want you to give that up. Will you give that up for me? Will you give that up for me? Will you give that up for your wife and your new daughter? Will you give that up? And so me and God wrestled. And, and I said, all right, God, I'll give this up. And I, I'm still going to serve you in music. Absolutely, Frank, I want you to do that. But the whole standing in the spotlight, of course, I'm standing in it right now. 
but standing in the spotlight, singing, and also, I I want you to give that up. Because I want to test your faith. And so, God, I believe, has done even more through that than ever I could have done by forcing that dream to come alive. So God, what you cling to is usually what God asks you to release. And here's the second one, and we're gonna close with this. What you release, he often replaces with something or someone far valuable. What you release, he often replaces it with something more or someone more valuable. We see this in relationships. Oh, but I love them. Release. Maybe God's telling you to release. Let them go. Either they'll come back to you or God will give you someone even better. It's just an example. But, but when we release, God will often give us something better in return. And so as you respond, I want you to search your heart and ask God, God, what treasure am I holding on to that you're telling me to let go and I'm just not letting go? What treasure is that? Because when you release that, God's going to take you to a whole nother level. And he's going to stir up a fire within you that's going to burn brighter and brighter and fuller. And God is going to give you a fire that will never be distinguished. And so as we, as we stand here in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to have this time of altar to the Lord. I'm going to be down here. And we're going to sing a song called Set a Fire. Lord, set a fire in my soul. It's a prayer. And as you sing this song and as you pray and this, this altar is open, I want you to ask yourself, ask the Lord, Lord, what treasure am I holding on to that I do not want to let go? And he'll tell you. He will show you. And it's our job to be obedient.